Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our executive pastor, Manny Colazzo. Well, hello, church, Calvary family, and those of you who are watching who are not part of Calvary family, but you are part of the family of God, and maybe you're not part of the family of God, thank you so much for tuning in and to listening to this uh, uh, Bible study. I'm filling in for Pastor Nate, who is on vacation this week, so pray for him as uh, he takes some time off to recoup and refresh and get reinvigorated, Um, just much needed time to step away and to um, spend time with family especially after this year. So keep him in your prayers. Looking forward to having him back. My name is Manny, and it's just a privilege to fill in for him and to spend this time with you, teaching you God's word. Um, As usual, if you're whatever platform that you are watching this on, make sure to hit like, subscribe, hit the notification icon so you're notified anytime Calvary uploads a sermon. And feel free to share this. This is a simple way for you to get God's, words out, God's word out there to your friends and family. Maybe there's something in this message that yes, it resonates with you, but God is gonna put somebody on your heart. He's gonna bring somebody to your mind that needs to hear this message that I have uh, in store for you today. And so open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. That's in the second half of the New Testament. So if you turn to your right, it's the first book of the New Testament called Matthew. Matthew, and then look for the big number five. Today, speakers, teachers, pastors, communicators, they usually stand when addressing an audience. But back in Jesus' day, the teacher the rabbi, they always sat. This is why even a faculty member who manages an academic department at school is called a chair. Or even, did you know that the Pope, when he speaks, he does so ex cathedra, which means to speak from the chair. Jesus even alluded to this idea of being seated while speaking in Matthew 23. He said, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. The seat of Moses was what they called the place of of authority from where the religious leaders exercised their authority when interpreting the laws for the Jewish people. You know what? I even found out that back in Jesus' day, when the rabbis said something while they were walking or standing, that was considered informal or off the record. And so I suspect that in Matthew 5, when this mob, this crowd that was following Jesus saw him sit down on that grassy mountainside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, they knew it was time to lean in and pay attention because he was about to drop some mind-blowing truth. And boy, did he. Over the next three chapters, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and 7, Jesus preaches a sermon that launches a whole new culture, I call it the Jesus culture, that would disrupt the social order, upend their expectations and methods, reorient their values, principles, and priorities. And so get ready, you're about to hear a sermon you will never forget, not because I'm the one that's preaching it, 
but because Jesus is the one that delivered it. Jesus began this radical teaching with the nine Beatitudes. These nine Beatitudes show us just how countercultural Jesus' culture would be. I mean, just listen to who is blessed. The poor in spirit, those who mourn are blessed. The meek and righteous are blessed. The pure, the peacemaker, and the persecuted are blessed. What? They are the blessed ones? This is what it looks like to be blessed? Hey, these kinds of values, these kind, this kind of person that Jesus is describing, this model that he was holding up was disruptive. I bet you that's not a word that you'd expect to hear describing Jesus' teaching, huh? Disruptive? Yeah, disruption has been happening since the beginning of time. Think about it. The invention of the wheel, the printing press, currency, gunpowder are all examples of creative disruption. A more recent example that we've all been impacted by is the internet. Because of the internet, Amazon has disrupted brick and mortar model bookstores, department stores, tech stores, and now even grocery stores. Uber and Lyft are examples of the disruption that's happening in the public transportation arena. How about Airbnb and VRBO? They're disrupting the hospitality industry. And leading these disruptive companies are CEOs who are also disruptors. They know that people want faster, People want better, quicker, cheaper ways to get their needs and wants met, like food, clothing, goods, and services. And so this drive drives them to constantly innovate and discover new ways of accomplishing their goals. And this is exactly what we find when we consider the implications of the Beatitudes. This teaching is so countercultural to the popular, mainstream, man-centered wisdom of our modern times that it continues to be one of the most welcome, at least in my case, one of the most welcome disruptors into my life. So to drive home this point even further, listen to this quick side-by-side comparison of the values of these nine Beatitudes. On one hand, the world this world that excludes God, they value pride. But the Jesus culture treasures humility. The world loves to party. They love pleasure and the party crowd. But the Jesus culture loves to listen to our mourning. The world is impressed with power, but gentleness and self-control catch Jesus' attention. The world craves just a little bit more of what temporarily satisfies. But the Jesus culture finds contentment in what is eternal. The world demands justice, but the Jesus culture demonstrates mercy. On one hand, the world insists on fighting for its rights, but the Jesus culture pursues peace. The world finds pleasure in crushing its enemies, but the Jesus culture loves its enemies. And finally, the world exalts and rewards those who are popular. But Jesus makes much of those who are persecuted. 
with each one of these beatitudes, Jesus pulls the rug right out from under our value system, especially as we look at the last beatitude in verses 10 through 12. And as we read it, listen to who Jesus is saying are the blessed ones. You wouldn't consider this person as blessed. Listen carefully to why they are blessed and listen to what Jesus saying is their motivation. So as you're looking at Matthew 5, scan down to Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12. We're looking at the last beatitude, which says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what is persecution? Does any negative experience related to our faith qualify as persecution? Have you ever been persecuted? Let's say someone disagrees with you. Somebody disagrees with what you say or rejects what you believe. Is that persecution? Or how about when coworkers or friends avoid you because of your loyalty to Jesus? Blogger Benjamin Corey attended a summer camp as a child where persecution was being discussed. And he remembers at this camp being told, don't worry, when you get back home, you won't have to leave your unsaved friends. When you get home, they they are going to leave you. What do you think? Is that persecution? Or how about when someone unfriends you on Facebook, blocks your Instagram posts or tweets, Is that the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about? I read another story of a religious guy who worked in a television warehouse, and he would go around kicking in the television screens while yelling, of the devil, of the devil, and he'd kick another screen, of the devil, and kick in another screen. Well, when he got fired, he fired back, persecution. Well, hey, folks, not only is that not persecution, but it cheapens and it minimizes the significance of the real persecution that Jesus is talking about. Now, I agree that persecution can take many forms, but when we get pushback and resistance and rejected for being arrogant, harsh, insensitive, or even foolish, that's what we deserve. That's not persecution. So what is persecution? Well, the word to persecute means to pursue to pursue like chasing a criminal that is running away. And Jesus tells us exactly what he means when he uses this word in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So persecution is a hostility that hunts you down because you are living right, doing what is right, and standing up for what is right. In verse 11, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
So here Jesus continued to expand his definition of persecution. Persecution can be that verbal harassment that hounds you because you believe in Jesus, because you're being like Jesus, because you're following Jesus. Jesus includes insults and slander, lies, any communication that misrepresents you in order to discredit and ruin your reputation, integrity, or credibility because you love and live live for Jesus. That is persecution. And finally, in verse 12, Jesus equates persecution to what the Old Testament prophets experience, a hatred that is so deep that it ultimately can lead to death. Persecution has been a common experience for people who declare an allegiance to God, for people who align their values with his and seek to please him with their lives. Here are a few real life examples from biblical history. One of the first ones that comes to mind is in Genesis. Abel suffered Cain's persecution and was killed because he was righteous. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar persecuted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He tried to burn them alive in the fire furnace because they refused to compromise. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, probably because he was the most persecuted character in the Old Testament. His own Jewish people tried to silence God's message through him by cursing him, beating him, and throwing him in jail. And from what we know, tradition tells us that most of the apostles were martyred. And Jesus warned them of this when he said in John 15, verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. We can continue on to the book of Acts. Paul was continually hounded by the Judaizers who made his life and ministry difficult. He echoed Jesus' words about persecution to his young disciple Timothy when he said anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. And did you know that entire books of the Bible First Peter, the one that Pastor Nate is leading us through on Sunday morning, the book of Hebrews, even the book of Revelation were written to encourage Christians who were being persecuted. And finally, let me leave you, leave you with these other examples. These are not found in biblical history, but probably are fresh in our minds. Just six years ago, On February 15th, 21 Coptic Christians were slaughtered on a Mediterranean beach by ISIS. Just two years ago, on Easter Sunday, April 21st, suicide bombers attacked three churches during Easter services in Sri Lanka. And on December 2019, Chinese pastor Wang Yi was sentenced to prison for nine years for preaching the gospel. Listen, folks. Jesus guaranteed persecution. The Bible promises persecution. And this beatitude tells us that great rewards awaits those who suffer persecution. But in all these examples I've just given you, they're not the norm for Christians in the West. 
yet. So this beatitude about suffering and persecution, is it, is it even applicable to us who haven't suffered this kind of persecution? Well, of course it is. Yes, it's applicable to, to us, and here's why. Persecution can happen when values collide. Persecution can happen when values collide. When we treasure what is important to God, here's what happens. We stop blending in. We won't fit in. As much as we try, when we live out God's values, it disrupts the status quo around us. We get out of sync. We sense that there's something out of step, and I bet you some, sort, some form of suffering can and will occur with those who don't live according to God's values. Sometimes it's as simple as being made uncomfortable or inconvenienced because of your faith in God. Pastor Nate has been leading us through the book of First Peter, showing us that the times are changing, that we are becoming an exiled people, learning how to live in this excluded, exiled, rejected, misunderstood, misrepresented because of God. And some people are even physically abused or killed because man's values conflicted with God's values. So of course, these few verses are applicable to us. Why? Because persecution can happen when values collide. Well, in what areas of our lives might we experience this collision of values? I'd like to give you three areas. One area, one place where Christians may experience this collision of values is with family. Family. Jesus said in Matthew, in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now what's crazy about this is that Jesus, in one of the earlier Beatitudes, just finished telling us, blessed are the peacemakers. What happened to that peacemaker verse? I mean, think about it. Peace is fundamental to the character of God, isn't it? One of God's names is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, which is Hebrew for the Lord is peace. God's son, Jesus, is called the Prince of Peace. And another name for God's message is the Gospel of Peace. <laughs> What's up with all this conflict amongst family? When Peter stepped up to defend him, Jesus told Peter to put his sword away. And here's what he told him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Isaiah 9, 6, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, and John 14, 27. All of those passages make it clear that Jesus came to make peace between God and man. So what do I mean? when I say that one of the place Christians may experience this collision of values is with family. Well, here's what you have to understand. That persecution occurs 
when two irreconcilable value systems collide. When two irreconcilable value systems collide. When that occurs, and you have to choose to stand with God for truth and for what is right, count on it. You will be persecuted. Sometimes even by those that you consider family. Sometimes our very children can turn on us for not compromising biblical mandates. Other times, it's parents turning against their children. I remember many years ago, back in the mid to late 90s, when I was the youth pastor here at Calvary Monterey, there was a student who had come to Christ at a high school Bible study, and he started attending our youth group. And as Jesus began changing his life, and he began to embrace these values, these priorities, these ethics of the Judeo-Christian faith, these biblical priorities in his life, and his life began to change, home became a living hell for him. His mom made it so difficult for him to live that his senior year, my wife and I took him in and embraced him and had him live in our home so, he can, so his faith could survive. Well, how about you? Have you ever been harassed by family for living right, for doing what is right, or maybe for standing up for what's right? Has your standing for biblical values caused a standoff with a child? a spouse, or maybe even a parent? Have you ever been misunderstood, rejected, insulted, lied about because you associated with Jesus or followers of Jesus? Well, have hope because this beatitude promises that those who suffer because of God are blessed. Those who suffer because of God are blessed. Another place Christians around the world experience a collision of values is with culture. In John 15, verse 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Although hostility, intolerance, and injustice against Jesus' followers is increasing in American society. Listen, it's a far cry from the hatred I see happening in other parts of the world. There are some who equate all of the social issue debates that we're having about gender, abortion, marriage, freedom of speech. There are some who equate those debates to American Christians being under attack. And personally, I take exception to that. Because at least there's a debate. We have the freedom to discuss it vigorously. As citizens, we can influence. We still have the power to influence that. Listen, that is very different from the suffering that this woman suffered in this video clip that you're about to watch. This woman experienced the suffering of persecution for almost two and a half years. Watch this clip. It was so cold during the night. 
he will suffer hypothermia. So hot during the day that his skin would burn to the edge of the container. The bugs that bite you felt like fire all over your body. But like driving a nail into wood, every hit, every beating, every blow to my body drew me closer to God. These are some of the notes I took when I had a chance to spend a few days with a lady called Helen Bahani. What you don't understand or what you don't get when you first meet Helen is her past. You see, Helen spent two and a half years locked inside a metal shipping container for refusing to recant her faith. And not only that, she taught me one of the most profound spiritual lessons of my life. She taught me about thankfulness. If you were to wake up tomorrow with only the things you thank God for today, what would you have? In Helen's case, every day for two and a half years, she woke up on the floor of a jagged metal shipping container inside a prison where she was beaten and tortured regularly. But one of the most incredible stories for me is her response to a beating that very nearly took her life. You see, Helen had been writing notes of encouragement and sending them to fellow prisoners, putting scriptures on them that she could memorize. And the guards came to her and they said, Helen, where is your Bible? And she said, I don't have one. And they said, is it in your head? She said, yeah, it's in my head. And they said, well, we're going to have to beat it out of you. They proceeded to grab Helen and, and, and they dragged her to a courtyard, placed her in the middle and started to beat her with wooden battens. What she does next has single-handedly changed my Christian walk forever. You see, in the middle of this beating, Helen stops and looks at the guy hitting her and says to him, I do not hate you, for you are just carrying out an order. But you need to know that I'm carrying out an order too. And that's not to renounce Jesus. So carry on. Carry on? I mean, when they were finished beating her, they simply threw her body back into the metal shipping container. And as she lay on the floor in the container, she began to sing the following. Thank you for the cold nights. Thank you for the hot days. Thank you for the hunger, for the sickness. Thank you for the bugs that bite my body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You see, things like resistance against traditional marriage or the unwelcome attitudes towards protecting the unborn, hey, those things definitely indicate that there's been a shift in our culture, that we live in a secular, post-Christian America. We can no longer assume that most Americans embrace the Judeo-Christian view of the world that our country was founded on. And this shift, as this shift continues, we can continue to expect this hostility to increase, especially as we've seen this past year. I'm not sure how bad it will get, but here's what I do know. This beatitude, through this beatitude, Jesus is telling us 
that those who suffer because of God are blessed. Those who suffer because of God are blessed. A third place we might experience a collision of values, and, and this one might surprise you, is when breaking with traditions. When breaking with traditions. There was an incident that happened while the nation of Israel was in the wilderness that I think frames this point well. In Numbers, the Old Testament document, the Old Testament book called Numbers, chapter 21, they were complaining against God and Moses because they just grew tired of the food that God was miraculously providing for them in the wilderness. And so in judgment of them, God allowed these poisonous snakes to infiltrate their camp and bite them. But God, being the merciful God that he is, he also gave them a way to be healed from these deadly snake bites. So he told Moses to make a bronze serpent and weave it, wrap it around a pole, to elevate the pole with the bronze serpent on top in the middle of the Israelite camp. The Israelites could express their faith by looking at it and they would be healed. No, it's a little weird, but it's Old Testament. Nothing more is known about this bronze serpent until hundreds of years later during the reign of King Hezekiah. It resurfaces in biblical history in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. By this time, the bronze serpent had become an object of worship. And when King Hezi realized this, do you know what he did? He broke that thing into pieces. Now think about the meaning of that. How could he do this with this historical religious relic? I mean, do you know the memories that this thing had? The healings that had the people that were saved because of it? As people, man, my uncle Jedediah and my grandmother Fival were healed because of this serpent. Here it was, a good, God-given symbol of mercy and salvation had become an idol. It was no longer effective. It had become a distraction. And now, years later, it was creating a significant problem. Similar things happen in churches. I've heard stories of buildings, rooms within those buildings, pieces of furniture within those rooms, articles on the pieces of furniture, music styles, dress styles, organizational policy, philosophy, and methodology, ministries, programs, and events have become a distraction and creating significant problems. These things started off as effective, God-inspired methods to accomplish the disciple-making mission that Jesus gave to his church. But over time, for a variety of reasons that we won't get into now, the focus drifts. Case in point, there was, an ex there was a church in one of the cities that I served in who had a line item in their budget for evangelism. 
evangelism is the declaration of the gospel so that people who don't know the gospel, have never heard the gospel, will respond to the gospel and believe in Jesus, come to faith and be a part of the family. So they had a light item that was dedicated for that purpose. Well, every year this church would use that money to fill their worship center with people from other churches to come and hear what? A gospel quartet. No one would stop and ask, wait a second, what is it that God has told us to do? What is it that Jesus told us to do? Well, oh, Jesus told us to make disciples. Nobody would ask, is our method, what we're doing with this evangelism money, is our style, our tradition, our approach with this gospel quartet, is our approach to disciple making, making disciples? Hey, it's what we like. And by the way, it makes us feel nice, but is it effective? But hey, don't anyone try, no, don't anyone dare to take that sacred cow out back and sacrifice it. Because here's what will happen. You will have a collision of values on your hands and you'll be ousted. You'll be ostracized and persecuted. On one hand, you have the way it's always been done. It's what we like. It's what we are comfortable with. And on the other hand, it is colliding with, is it effectively accomplishing the mission of God? Listen, when commitment to a tradition is valued more than a commitment to the mission, brace yourself. You are on a collision course of values. And this is not unique. Moses, most of the persecution, excuse me, most of the persecution that Jesus and Paul faced from the people was from within their own Jewish community, community over a collision of man's tradition and God's mission. Jesus and his disciples were persecuted several times for breaking the traditions that were observed on the holy Sabbath day. Paul was persecuted for challenging the idea that the Jewish ritual of circumcision was needed for salvation. Don't be surprised when it comes our way, even when it comes from within the church. Boy, can I tell you stories of friends, pastors, and church leaders, and members who for the health and benefit of their church attempted a course correction, and they were maligned, scorned, gossiped about, rumors went about them, lied, and false innuendos. If that's you, if you've ever experienced that, I hope this beatitude encourages you because Jesus promises that those who suffer because of God are blessed. As a matter of fact, this beatitude, in this beatitude, Jesus tells us that when the collision of values happens, whether it's from family or culture or tradition, and people begin to wound you with their words, their fists, that our attitude should be to rejoice and be glad? Are you kidding me? How can he say this? Pain and suffering for trying to be right and do what's right? For obeying God? Wait a second. Obeying God hurts. Why should I 
Rejoice and be glad. Is he saying that we need to enjoy the persecution? No way. I love how John Piper, I like to call him Johnny Pipes, comments about this. What can justify such counsel, this counsel that Jesus gives to people in pain who are suffering persecution? Rejoice and be glad. I see two possibilities, he says. Either this is the talk of an insensitive, sophomoric, ivory tower theologian who has never known what it is to scream in pain, or this is the talk of one who has seen and tasted something and knows something about a reality that most people have never experienced. Wow. Jesus not only knows suffering, but he also knows the reason that we have to rejoice and be glad in the midst of our suffering. And so just like the other Beatitudes, the first part of this Beatitude is just a description. It describes who is blessed. I've been telling it to you like this. Those who suffer because of God. It is describing those who are blessed. Those who suffer because of God. That description is followed by an explanation of why they're blessed. You see, Jesus can say, rejoice and be glad in the midst of persecution because he knows that the, re- that the reward and the pleasure of heaven will more than make up for any suffering we endure for him here on earth. And that's why I believe that this is what Jesus means. Those who suffer because of God are blessed. Why? Because they will be rewarded by God. Those who suffer because of God are blessed because they will be rewarded by God. What are some of these rewards that bless us? I can think of three that I'd like to share with you. I'm sure there's more, but I want to share with you three, and I hope they're encouraging to your soul. If you are suffering, if you're about to suffer, if you have ever suffered, it has not, it will not go unnoticed. It will not be wasted. Number one, what are these rewards? Number one, the reward of eternal life. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul encourages the Philippians to not be afraid of those who oppose the gospel because of what it proves. In first, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, he said this, and you will not be afraid of those who are against you. All of this is proof from God that you are being saved and that your enemies will be lost. Here's why you can rejoice and be glad. Because suffering, suffering well, proves the authenticity of your salvation. It proves that you are one of God's children. Are you having doubts? That you, is the suffering, the persecution, are you wondering, is that undermining? Am I secure? Is that why? Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe God doesn't love me. No, your persecution because of God proves that you are one of God's children. You wouldn't be persecuted if you're one of theirs. If you're one of them, hey, it proves that your salvation is authentic. 
heaven is a hundredfold compensation for every pain. See, it's not just a place in eternity. Heaven is a far superior quality of life where the wrongs done to you are made right, where genuine justice reigns. It's not just about having eternal life and living forever with Jesus. It's also referring to a different quality of life, one in which there is no pain and suffering and persecution, but one where true justice reigns. Number two, the second reward I can think of is the reward of a crown of life. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad when you suffer because you are guaranteed a reward. And one of those rewards is the crown of life. Jesus spoke of this and promised this reward to the church of Smyrna in Revelation 2, verse 10. This church, this group of people who believed in Jesus living in the city of Smyrna were also being persecuted because they remained loyal to Jesus and refused to compromise. And as Jesus promises this crown, the crown is a symbol of victory. That's what it symbolizes. Jesus is promising victory to his followers. Even though you might be buckling under the pressure, the heavy pressure of persecution, and you feel like you're on the verge of being defeated, hey, no way, Jose, you will be victorious. Hey, those who suffer for God are blessed because they will be rewarded by God. They will be rewarded by God. Third, the third reward is what Jesus mentions in the last verse of our passage. Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted because that's exactly what happened to the prophets. When the world calls you a chump, you are numbered among those God calls champs. Others might hate you because you embrace God's values, but God adores you. You might be hated here on earth because you take God's side, but that makes you a hero in heaven where your scars will be traded in for medals. I hope that this gives you something to look forward to, strength to endure, motivation to go the distance, because those who suffer because of God are blessed. Why? Because they will be rewarded by God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouraging word. We know that it flows from, Lord God, number one, your heart and mind. It flows from your values. Lord, even this word blessed, it's different from what we think blessing is. It's not, our, it's not the fact that things will always be perfect and things will, this word blessed it means that there's something wholesome and healthy. Lord, blessed means that there's a complete, deep satisfaction that isn't dependent on what's happening outside of us or to us. Lord, that comes from you. 
the God who is the blesser. Father, may you give us your perspective, your view, your value system to count and to understand what true blessings are. That blessings not, might not be the perfect life here on earth. Might not be the rewards that we get here on earth, the acclaims, the medals, Lord. But when we embrace your values, when we embrace your perspective, when we embrace the Jesus culture, it sets us up, Lord God, with a motivation, a fuel that is eternal. A motivation that is eternal. And so, Father, I pray for those who are suffering persecution, those who are experiencing resistance from the, and hostility from friends, from family members, from co-workers, Lord, as the situation here in the states continues to heat up. God, may you use these passages to breathe fresh wind into our sails, Lord God. To get our eyes, Lord God, over the rewards and the circumstances here on earth and to realize that we are living in this world with a huge purpose, a great purpose, a mission that you've called us to accomplish. But Lord, we are in actuality living for the next world to be with you in eternity where true reward, where true healing and true justice rules and reigns. We honor you because of that, God. Thank you for this encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you folks. Remember to share this with someone. If you know somebody who's suffering, somebody who will be going through persecution, somebody who is going through persecution, share this with them. I'm sure it'd be encouraging. And make sure to reach out to me and let me know what you thought. If you want to discuss it, if you have any questions, you can reach me at mannyc at calvary.com. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.